find your balance. That is the goal here at Boost Health. Welcome to episode number 11 of the show. I am Paul Sandberg, the founder of Boost Health and your host. I'm a certified strength and conditioning specialist with the NSCA. I have a bachelor's degree in human biology and master's degree in business administration, and I've been working in the wellness and fitness industry for over 19 years. In each episode of the Boost Health podcast, we discuss a new topic and cover the entire spectrum of wellness concepts, including fitness training, inspiration, nutrition, biohacks, and wellness products. And we give you some actionable tips that you can implement in your personal health strategy. Each show is only about 20 minutes long, so you can get caught up on past episodes easily if you're a new listener. My philosophy with this podcast and with Boost Health in general is to be open-minded and try new things. Preconceived notions shouldn't get in the way of some wellness strategies that could be a real difference maker for us. Have you ever tried a new wellness tactic that surprised you and how well it worked? Those are what we are trying to uncover here. I want to take a moment to thank you all so much for listening. It really means a lot to me. And please support Boost by telling a friend, family member, or colleague about the show that you think might enjoy it. Another way you can support the show is by visiting the website at myboosthealth.com, clicking the Amazon banner at the bottom of the homepage, and then doing some shopping. When using the Amazon banner, you'll get some shopping checked off your to-do list, and Boost will get a kickback, so everybody wins. One last thing that would really help the show, please take a few minutes to subscribe, rate, and review the show in iTunes. You can actually do it right in the podcast app on your smartphone. The ratings and reviews are really helpful in gaining a following, and there are some ratings starting to come in now, so thank you all so much for taking a moment to do this. Announcements. For those that didn't know, we actually have a newsletter that goes out every week. It's called The Weekly Boost. And you can subscribe on the homepage. There's a new ribbon on the homepage for the, for the newsletter. So don't miss any Boost Health news. Apparel. For those that didn't know, the Boost Health Performance Apparel Store is open. Uh, but it's only going to be open until April 24th. So just a few more days. And that's for our first order that's going to go in and get created. So go to myboosthealth.com and click on the shop link at the top of the site to check out all the awesome gear. You can enter the discount code PODCAST, that's P-O-D-C-A-S-T, at checkout to receive 5% off your order. Before you use the discount code, please rate the show five stars and leave a glowing review in iTunes. That would be awesome. Also, I'm going to be giving away a special prize to the best review of the show during this period. The store will only be open until April 24th, so hurry. Leave your review and get shopping done soon. All right. Now on with the program. Episode 11 of the Boost Health Podcast is titled, Three Tactics to Build Your Mental Strength Now. Confession. I have a confession. I panic when I am training sometimes. It is a bit taboo for athletes, even amateurs like myself, to admit to weakness in their mental toughness. For some reason, it is no big deal to talk about any issue below the neck, like a muscle strain or lack of flexibility. For some reason, mental health and strength, or lack thereof, seems like a touchy subject. But I want to be an open book to you all. As you know, I want to try new things, research different strategies, and share ideas. So I'll just go ahead and admit now that my mental game is weak. I say this because I panic in situations that I shouldn't. It usually happens when I'm doing intense endurance training. With cycling and running, it happens more often in the heat. I usually do okay in cool conditions. 
I always keep a close eye on my heart rate when training, and in hot conditions, the heart is working overtime in an effort to cool the body and keep up with the exercise demands. Sometimes in extreme heat, I'll look down at my watch or computer and see that my heart rate is higher than normal and notice it is not coming down. I start to get nervous and a bit panicky. Sometimes the nervousness and panicky feeling go away after a few seconds, and sometimes it gets so bad I have to stop the activity for a bit. Now, it's easy enough with cycling or running to just pull off to the side of the road. I wait for the heart rate to come back down and then usually head home carefully and try to stay calm. With swimming, I get the panic feelings pretty much each time I get in the water, regardless if it is in the pool or open water. It is certainly intensified in the open water, though. I've only been swimming since I entered my first triathlon in 2013 when I was 35 years old. Prior to that, I couldn't properly swim one lap in the pool. With temperatures beginning to rise lately, it will mean getting more swims in as well as more heat training on rides and runs. Now this translates to a lot of opportunity to work on my mental game. And this got me thinking about how important the role of the mind is with training and race performance. It seems no matter where you sit on the performance anxiety spectrum, mental strength tactics should be in your toolbox to help perform your best in all situations, even those beyond sport and training. The mental component of fitness training and sport performance has been studied for many years in the field of sports psychology. According to a 2016 article in the Journal of Change Management by Jamie Barker, sport psychology looks at the relationship between the brain and sport performance, inclusive of optimizing performance and mental health of athletes, teams, coaches, and organizations. 40 years of research in the industry has shown that there are many effective psychological strategies that can be used to improve individual or team performance. Interestingly, research also suggests there are similarities between professional athletes and business employees because they work in an ever-changing and high-demand environment. This makes sense to me as I think about a few stressful work situations I've been in. Having strategies to help with calming and mental strength would have been helpful. As such, Think of working on your mental game as a smart time investment, since it can help you be stronger in sport, training, work, and life situations. After doing a bit of research, I've identified three tactics that studies have shown to help flex your mental muscles, to break down barriers, and prevent or recover from anxiety. Since this is something I am currently struggling with, I also share some examples of how I intend to apply them. Number one, positive self-talk. According to a 2010 article by Chris Gee in Behavior Modification, competitive anxiety is the most common psychological issue that athletes deal with, but tactics such as rational emotive therapy, self-talk, and reframing can greatly assist in dealing with it. RET, or rational emotive therapy, helps the athlete by rationalizing the situation by separating their self-worth and identity from their performance. And according to calmclinic.com, self-talk has to do with distracting your brain with positive reinforcement messages, happy memories, or problem solving. This sounds like a fairly simple strategy, but I'm excited to try it. My normal self-talk when I get hot and my heart rate spikes is, "Uh uh-oh, that is high, it isn't coming down, this isn't good, I am hot, I am dizzy, I am scared. (laughs) I am guessing this isn't real great for performance based on research. 
So I've given it some thought and my self-talk mess message is going to change. I'm going to change it to something like, that is interesting that my heart rate is high, but I'm in good shape and it will recover as I slow down. I'm feeling good and this is making me stronger. <laughs> now, this is such a long affirmation message that maybe my heart rate will have recovered by the time I finish saying it. You may have noticed that I squeezed in some reframing into my self-talk message too. I went from saying, uh-oh, to that is interesting. I'm excited to try this technique out. I think the new mindset alone will be helpful. It's almost like I'm welcoming a challenging mental situation instead of trying to avoid it, which would only make the panic feelings worse. Number two, exposure therapy. Dr. Chantal Marie Gagnon talks about ways to break free of mental barriers in an article on psychcentral.com. And her tips include a method of doing the thing that you're afraid of over and over again until you don't fear it anymore, also known as exposure therapy. Now, the concept of exposure therapy isn't new, and it intuitively makes sense that if you do something enough times with success, you won't be scared anymore. I agree with this to a certain extent, but it isn't that simple for everyone, and you may need to apply some other tactics to have long-term success. Let's use my swim panicking as an N equals one case study of exposure therapy. As mentioned previously, I've only been swimming for the last few years. I played in pools, oceans, and lakes growing up and would swim around leisurely, but not with proper technique. Then, since I started doing triathlons a few years ago, I've spent many hours in the pool doing laps and working on stroke technique and breathing. I swam many times in the ocean practicing open water technique and siding. I've swum in lakes and oceans in triathlon races. More specifically, I did ocean swimming here in Hong Kong in the Dragon's Summer Series Triathlon two times last year, which included open water swims. Now, these races are actually three sprint triathlons in a row in the same morning. So technically, I did six open water swims in race situations last year. This all adds up, in my opinion, to pretty good exposure therapy. I will say that I felt absolutely amazing about myself after completing those triathlon race swims. I thought I had conquered the fear, but sadly, this is not the case. The first Dragon Summer Series Triathlon is next month, and just thinking about swimming in open water sounds scary. Oh, and did I mention that these are training races, so I'm actually allowed to use my pole buoy, and I'm still scared. Why? Why didn't exposure therapy stick? I know I can swim that far. I know I can make it safely. I've done this exact same swim course six times and I was totally fine. Some interesting research on exposure therapy and fear may explain why. A 2012 study in behavior research and therapy by Vassi et al. shows that you can get good results with exposure therapy for anxiety disorder, but a phenomenon called return of fear can happen. This occurs for some individuals where the progress they made in overcoming the anxiety stimulus is lost and the fear returns. Now, the researchers hypothesized that the return of fear was more likely to occur when an individual's automatic attitude response to the stimulus of fear was still negative one month after the exposure therapy. Now, this sounds an awful lot like my swimming anxiety. Even though I had successful exposure therapy results after the ocean triathlons, I still have a negative automatic response to swimming several months later. 
there still needs to be a lot of research done on exposure therapy and the return of fear phenomenon, as it is still not well understood. So I will continue to expose myself to swimming, but to ensure success, I'm also going to go ahead and experiment with the aforementioned tactics that I'll be using with heat and heart rate panicking as well. We'll see if the combination of exposure therapy with some positive self-talk and reframing helps with the swim panicking. My current thoughts when I go into swim panic mode are something like, I can't get enough air, I'm sinking, I'm tired, I'm not a good swimmer, and I'm scared. <laughs> and this is most likely not what high-performing swimmers think about during their swim stroke. I think my swimming positive self-talk and reframing will be something like, it is interesting that I've lost my rhythm, but I have swam further than this before in tougher conditions and I was fine. I'm feeling good. I'm strong. Number three, anchoring. I wondered how prevalent panic and anxiety were in sport and training. I did a quick and informal survey of some of my workout buddies, and they admitted to having some performance anxiety, especially before big races. But it didn't sound like anyone had full-on panic attacks like I do. But there are other athletes like me who do have issues with panic attacks and are still able to perform. According to an article on the Daily Mail website, Chris Hoy, an Olympic gold medal cyclist from Great Britain, also had his battles with mental strength and panic attacks. Interestingly, Chris used some of the tactics previously discussed to get through his Olympic competitions, including positive self-talk and reframing. But he also did a very interesting one that I want to try that's called anchoring. According to the same article, the anchoring technique that he used involved attaching a positive image from previous success to a gesture like grabbing your earlobe. I may add this to my self-talk and reframe phrasing for cycling and running, where I can envision how good I feel after completing a big climb and then grab my left earlobe. For swimming, I could anchor by doing a few recovery breaststrokes and envision the feeling of accomplishment I have when I run out of the water after finishing the swim. Triggers. There are other examples of elite athletes who struggle with the mental game. In fact, just last month, Kevin Love, the NBA all-star forward for the Cleveland Cavaliers, discussed a recent panic attack he had during a game this season. He wrote an excellent article about this in the Players' Tribune. It was a very honest assessment of the currents that really hit home with me. He describes how talking about it was tough, but also very helpful, because suppressed feelings and hiding from the issue can make it worse. Suppressed feelings as an anxiety trigger were also noted in the Daily Mail article about Chris Hoy. It mentioned as well that the panic attacks are more common if you're stressed out and a perfectionist. Now, apparently, the panic attacks are a way of releasing your feelings. Let's try this. I have known for a long time that I hold emotions in and use exercise as a way of releasing feelings. In fact, I mentioned in my blog and podcast on the topic of wellness balance that I realize I have work to do in the emotional wellness dimension because of this type of suppression. When I learned that panic attacks could be brought on by perfectionism and stuffing down emotions, it was like a light went on. I've always worn my perfectionism as a sort of badge of overachievement and the emotional thing I just assumed was genetic and not easily treatable. But I'm excited to try these new tactics of positive self-talk, exposure therapy, and anchoring when I start to feel panicky. 
If you see me out on the road talking to myself and grabbing my earlobe, you can rest assured that I'm just doing some mental strength work. Perhaps you'll join me? Thank you so much for listening to the show. I'll be back next week discussing a new wellness topic. Please subscribe, rate, and review the show in iTunes. You can follow my workouts and boost health updates on Strava, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can also visit the Boost Health website at myboosthealth.com for links to everything along with more motivation and information. And until next time, find your balance.